the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you, sir, and a pleasant good afternoon. Welcome. It is a basic Wednesday here, the 23rd of October, five minutes after five o'clock on uh, your ride home. Craig Roberts, he can beat company, as we always do, each Monday through Friday, Addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Hey, we got an exciting program for you today. Coming up a little bit later on in the first hour, we're going to be joined by the daughter of famed evangelist Billy Graham. Ruth Graham joins us. We'll talk about an amazing, at times heart-wrenching, and eye-opening book called Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself. An Invitation to the Miracle of Forgiveness. Ruth Graham joins us on the program a little bit later on tonight. We'll also talk about a very special opportunity for college students. Uh, This this is a contest the likes of which I have never seen before. And if uh, you or uh, you have a son or a daughter or a grandchild who is uh, studying finance and business and interested in the inner workings of how the markets work and how corporations are valued and, and ultimately make their way to market and how those dollar figures, the valuation of a company and its stock uh, all come about and how uh, the analysis is done to guide investors as to which ones to uh, put money into, well, we're going to tell you about a very special contest coming up a little bit later on in tonight's program. We spend the first part of our program tonight talking about you and your money. If you've watched the volatility on Wall Street lately, and these days it's practically impossible not to take note, you probably have a sense that, gee, this this seems to have a mind of its own. Some days it goes up, some days down, some days it seems to sit there static or go sideways. But at the end of the day, smart investors understand that as you're building momentum toward retirement, creating that nest egg that will take you to and through retirement, you got to be, as the old saying goes, you got to be in it to win it. The problem, of course, is how do you go about smartly investing in the stock market? How do you determine what your appetite for risk is going to be in relationship for your timeline for retirement? And how do you know what to buy? Do you need an expert to help walk you through all this? Well, if you do, we've got one on the phone right now and news about a very exciting event that's coming to the San Francisco Bay Area this weekend. We'll tell you more about that. But first, let's meet David Mitchell, founder and CEO of Tradeway. David, great to have you on the show. Thank you, Craig. Good to be with you again. Let's talk about this little sense of uh, nervousness that some people have about Wall Street. We certainly recognize the fact that there has been this bull run that's uh, well over 10 and a half years old, going to be 11 years old uh, in the spring of next year. Some say it could never have lasted this long, and yet there seem to be no signs of slowing, while certainly there's a bit of cooling in economies 
Globally, Wall Street continues to remain strong. And, of course, therein, the wonderful opportunity for investors and people building assets toward retirement to take advantage of what's been happening as a means of, well, I guess, essentially making your money make money for you. But people get nervous about that. Give us your sense of where things are with Wall Street right now. And why is it important to have some vested interest, to have some skin in the game when it comes to building that critical mass toward retirement? Well, there's obviously nervousness out there. And uh we have to understand, though, that most of that is caused by just lack of knowledge. I mean, when you when you don't know something, you fear that thing. And I think Wall Street propagates the idea that you have to be a rocket scientist to you know to deal with the stock market because they don't want you to deal with it because they want to trade with your money. Now, think about that. If they're able to do that, it's risk free for them, so they can trade in the market risk free using your money. And that's exactly what they're doing. So think about that for a minute. That's your hard-earned money. No one cares about it as much as you do. And our family, I was fortunate, Craig, I grew up in a fourth-generation family business-type family. My great-great-grandfather got us in the oil business. And my grandfather had to learn how to deal with money because they were making a lot of it. So he learned to be a very good stock and bond investor. And we've passed those skill sets down through each generation all the way down to my grandchildren at this point. So about 17 years ago, my five grown children and I, they all work with me in our company. We decided we'd start to share these skill sets with brothers and sisters in Christ around the country. So that's what Tradeway has been doing now for all these years. And what you find out when you come to our first event, it's called Step One, Start Your Journey. 98% of the people in the room won't know a thing about Wall Street. Many of them never owned a business, so we started at the ground floor. But what you're going to find out is it's not rocket science, it's just skill sets. And you need to come and hear this because you'll learn the skill sets that will take the fear away. And we teach you what the big boys on Wall Street do with your money and how they make money with it so that you can get the math in your favor like they do. Do you find that one of the biggest, perhaps, obstacles for most folks is that fear factor? And that fear factor basically sort of incubates in an environment of ignorance, meaning people think, gee, this sounds complicated. Gosh, I I don't know that I can really wrap my mind around all of this. So they stay out of it. And then because of that, they don't understand and therefore they're fearful. They hear the reports on the news at night. The Dow was up 200 the NASDAQ was down three, whatever, and they just don't know how to process the information. As a result, they stay out of it. And when they do, is that libelous or or, um, potentially dangerous when it comes to building that critical mass that we're all going to need to supplement Social Security at retirement? It's it's always dangerous to stay out because Inflation eats your money up if you just stick it in a savings account, and you make very little interest now because the Fed has driven the interest rates down so low. So you need to get the skill sets and you need to understand how to get your money working to make money for you rather than you working to make money. There's a big difference. And uh, when you learn how to let your money make some money, you're in the best of the cash flow quadrants, if you've ever read that book. But it's... uh, the investment quadrant is the best because you, you never create wealth if you trade your hours for dollars. So you have to leverage. And what we do is we teach you how to leverage the minds and the money and all the hard work that the people on Wall Street do every day. So you can leverage that for your own family. And, and really, yeah, fear is a big problem, but pride's also a problem. We have 
some emotional things we have to deal with when we become stock traders. But I would agree with you, Craig. I think fear is the biggest one, and the best way to alleviate that is with knowledge. And in fact, let me uh, let me give you a scripture here that's that's pretty interesting because uh, the Bible teaches in Proverbs chapter two, verse three. It says, "Through wisdom is a house built, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge." shall thy chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increases strength. So we see that the Bible words that we would call skill sets today are knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And and the Scripture tells us so clearly that that will, if we gain knowledge and understanding and skill sets, that that leads towards our chambers being filled with precious riches. Now, you know, another problem, Craig, that some Christians have today is that they feel that you have to be poor to be spiritual, but the Lord wouldn't write such things as Proverbs chapter, I said chapter 2, but it's actually 24, Proverbs 24, 3 through 5. He wouldn't, written, he wouldn't write things like that, and many, many scores and hundreds and hundreds of other scriptures that deal with the blessing of wealth on God's children and the conditions that he says we have to fulfill for him to fulfill the blessing— he wouldn't put all that there if that were true. So I, I think we've been misled there. What God actually wants us to do, according to 1 Timothy 5, 8, 2 Corinthians 12, 14, Proverbs 13, 22, is to lay aside for our children and our grandchildren. You can't do that without creating a certain amount of wealth. You just can't do it. So he commands us to do that. I think if he's going to command us, he'll show us how. And so the scripture is full of uh, ideas about economics and finance and the family business, and we bring out a lot of those in Step 1, Start Your Journey as well. And I think at the end of the day, for people to recognize that sometimes the parable of the talents is is misconstrued, and we think it's about the response of an evil of a master who comes back after a journey and uh, meters out levels of punishment. But it's really about accountability responsibility, and ultimately stewardship. And the one that invested wisely is the one that received the greatest reward. And so I think that parallel to our own stewardship of that which God has entrusted us to, um, it should be very clear-cut. Now, let's talk about this two-day event. Step one, start your journey. It'll be taking place this Friday and Saturday, centrally located in the Bay Area at the Fremont Marriott Hotel. And the good news is that you can register and attend the event for the entire household for just ninety nine ninety five, And plus, you'll receive an extra ticket to bring along a friend or a loved one, all of this with a full money-back guarantee. Give us a bit of a breakdown, if you would, David, as to what folks will be experiencing over the course of these two days. Well, by the way, that particular hotel is easy to get to. It's a great place to have an event. I just came back from doing a big summit meeting for Tradeway there, right there in your city. Met some wonderful people, so I know some of you guys will be back for this step one but when you come just just bring an open mind and listen because between when you get there and noon the first day you're going to be a little skeptical i'm sure because you've seen a lot of things offered out there but by time you get to noon what we're going to do is give you a lot of ammunition so that you fully understand why you can get the math on your side and that's exactly what the big boys on Wall Street do in order to make money. That's why they get so many millions of dollars of, of uh, bonuses every January. They're making money, so there is a way to do it. You just have to learn the skill set, and you'll you'll start to learn that. And right, I'm, I would say probably halfway through the first day, all of a sudden you'll move from being skeptical 
to, to going, aha, so that's how this is done. And that's what, this is the reason I keep teaching. I've done it so many years, Craig, but I stay just as excited because when I see that aha moment, that's what I'm looking for. But uh, it, it, it is tremendous. You, you need to realize we're going to start at ground floor. You don't need to worry about that you don't know anything about Wall Street. That's where we start. And by the end of the two days, you'll actually have skill sets that have potential to actually create cash flow in your family if you keep the rules, and that's what we teach you. So you should check it out. I mean, there, there's, there's absolutely nothing to lose to come take a look at it. And you know what? If you stay both days and you say, you know what, I love you, David, but this is not for me, we'll give you your $99 back. How about that? For that's you? a good deal. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, listen, knowledge is power. So even if you stay for both days and decide it isn't for you, you've learned something about the way money works, the way Wall Street functions, and that knowledge can serve you for a long time in the future. It is the Tradeway two-day event called Step One, Start Your Journey. It'll be this coming Friday and Saturday at the Marriott Hotel in Fremont. And again, it's just ninety nine ninety five for the entire household. And you'll also receive an extra ticket so you can bring along a friend from work, a neighbor or something. To register and get more information, go to Tradeway.com. That's T-R-A-D-E-W-A-Y.com, Tradeway.com. Or easier still, call toll-free 877-907-TRADE. That's 877-907-TRADE. For details and reservations, call 877-907-TRADE. That's 877-907-TRADE. Or go to Tradeway.com. That's Tradeway.com. And our thanks to Tradeway founder and CEO David Mitchell for being with us on this segment of LifeWatch. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. 23 minutes after the hour, if all goes as planned, uh, joining us a little bit uh, later on in tonight's program, first hour this evening, Ruth Graham, son of evangelist Billy Graham, her daughter, rather, will join us to talk about her new book, Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself, An Invitation to the Miracle of Forgiveness. Ruth Graham coming up later on in this first hour. Talking about money, have you ever wondered how investors and fund managers select the small and micro-cap companies that they choose to buy stocks in? Is it some sort of an arbitrary dart, maybe thrown at a list on the wall, or perhaps the investor's crystal ball, whose very existence is known only to a selective few? (laughs) Well, actually, the process is much more complicated than that. It takes a keen eye to do both the equity research, and then to interpret that data to make an informed and hopefully economically rewarding decision. Joining me now is Mike Kopinski. Mike is Director of Research at Noble Capital Markets. And Mike, there's a very exciting opportunity for next generation of potential market analysts to gain some, well, some important real-world experience in researching up-and-coming shakers and movers in the micro and small cap arena, but also win some really great prizes as well. Tell us about the College Research Report Challenge. Craig, thanks for having me. I'm very excited about this challenge um, because it brings together the, the interest, I think, in trying to encourage students to find careers in the financial research and get them interested in capitalism and the capital markets. This challenge 
um, is a research challenge. So the, what it, it requires the students to do is to write a research report uh, and seek that company on over 6,000 companies that's featured on a, a site called channelcheck.com. And that's traditional spelling of channel, C-H-E-K, lose the C on check.com. And there's and you have the opportunity to pick a company off there. It's an emerging growth, small cap um, type uh, site. So you pick one of those small cap companies and write a research report on it. And what you can win is $7,500 in cash. You can also, uh, the school, the winning student would get $5,000. You get a paid internship at Noble Capital Markets in the research department. You get a free trip to Miami for an equity conference in February, and uh, you're, you will be featured receiving the award on the NASDAQ wall in New York City's Times Square. It's an amazing opportunity. Yeah, indeed, and if you've ever wanted to be on Broadway, <laughs> this is the way to do it. And, and I tell you what's fascinating about this, Mike, and that is that every one of us who has a retirement fund and either an IRA, a 401k, we work for a publicly traded company, or we go out and buy goodies, and, and uh, you know, we love technology between our, our uh, mobile devices and our cars and things of this sort, every single aspect of what I've just described is touched in one fashion or another by market analysts and market research. I mean, after all, somebody needs to sit down and say, let's look at what's going on with a particular company um, and uh, to analyze not just the executive summary of the firm, but uh, to provide an investment appraisal, um, overview of the industry and this particular company's competition, financial analysis, corporate guidance, risk management, all of the information that maybe to the average Joe who's got a little money in a 401k doesn't understand, but it is critically important because literally the world of business turns on all of this. And to know that a young person uh, has an opportunity, either solo as part of a team perhaps, to participate in the College Research Report Challenge and potentially win all these goodies, not just the cash prize of $7,500, but the paid internship in an actual equity research firm there with you at Noble Capital is just an incredible opportunity. Well, all the all of the analysts at Noble have accreditations, much like myself, where we've been uh, selected by the Wall Street Journal survey as being best on the street multiple times for stock picking, star mine ranks, and institutional investor uh, magazine ranked analysts. So all of the analysts have accreditations, and it's been a great opportunity to work directly with a senior analyst. But the, to your other point, um, what we're trying to find in, in, in this challenge is to find the next Apple before it becomes Apple, or find the next Walmart before it becomes what we know as Walmart. And that's where you really look into the micro-cap and small-cap space. What we're looking is to try to find those next companies. In other words, if your channel check is kind of like the orchard if you're looking for the next Apple. And that's the way that I think uh, why I'm excited about this competition. And it really is an opportunity, as we mentioned, for the uh, the winner 
of the College Research Report Challenge to, uh, as you suggest, work in a real-world environment, um, get an opportunity to win some cash that can go towards their tuition, their college or university benefits as well, but ultimately the chance to be in that real-world environment and, as you say, brush shoulders not just with a bunch of guys that have uh, securities licenses, but people that are recognized as leaders in their field that can bring about really sort of the synergy that a young person who's interested in this kind of analysis and and uh, what it means to potentially help discover the next company that's going to turn into the Apple, the Hewlett Packard, the Tesla, whatever it might be. I mean, this this is fascinating stuff. And what I what I find interesting about this this opportunity here um, is that in addition to all the goodies and all the experience, um, you, you get a chance to really. Uh, do the real deal here. I mean, this is going to be a report that will be based on real-world, established Wall Street format, will it not? That's correct. In fact, uh, when you go on to channelcheck.com, you have the ability uh, to go on there and actually look at all of the research that Noble puts together. So you're actually looking at Wall Street research. It's all free. You just go in there and put an email, and then you create your own password. And then you have the ability to go in there and actually read Wall Street research for free. So, you know, yeah. That's an opportunity. And it's interesting, Mike, because everybody wants to know, okay, come on, give me the inside scoop. What's the next Apple? What's the next IBM going to be? Where do I find the next Microsoft? Well, this is the ground floor of how all this process takes place. Now, let's talk about some of the uh, the guidelines here. I understand that right now registration is open and uh, will continue to be open through December 15th. And that is it early January, Mike, of the submission of the report deadline comes about? That's correct. So, December 15th is the registration deadline, and the report must be submitted by January 17th. And then we'll announce the winner, winner on or around January 31st. And, and in terms of qualifications, uh, I know you certainly have to be a student 18 years or older. Does it depend on the kind of college or university that you're going to in order to qualify to enter the contest? It doesn't, and that's the interesting aspect, too. You don't have to be in business school, and I know that there's a lot of people that are enrolled in college and and higher education that might be in nursing, but they have interest in the financial markets. Anyone enrolled in uh, higher education is qualified to uh, participate in this contest. And again, as we mentioned, the the contest registration is open now through December the 15th. The submission deadline will be the 17th of January of next year. And uh, you can register and get complete details online by going to Channel Check. That's the word channel, spelt normally. The word check without the C, C-H-E-K, dot com forward slash college contest. And uh, what a great opportunity. And, uh, you know, there's some things in here beyond just the cash or the cash benefit going to the college or university as well. But the the paid internship um, and the chance to go and rub shoulders with um, many of the leaders within the industry on a paid trip to Miami to attend the NobleCon 16, which is one of the largest investor conferences of its kind anywhere in the country. And uh, here's your chance. So why not get involved and see if you might become a winner and be the next person to do the analysis that leads to the discovery of the next Apple or IBM or Tesla. Again, information available online. You can register there, too, at channelcheck.com forward slash college contest. That's channelcheck, C-H-E-K, dot com forward slash 
College Contest. And uh, Mike, anything else to add to uh, encourage listeners? Uh, maybe they got grandkids in school or kids in school to get involved in this exciting contest? Well, the people that I've talked to are just very excited about it. And um, certainly the other aspect is you can also email me questions uh, and just go on there and register. And then you have the ability to give me some questions if you're having some trouble and trying to figure out how you want to approach certain things. I'm certainly available. I'll try to get to as many of those emails as possible. All right. Sounds good. Information again, and you can register online at channelcheck.com forward slash college contest. And uh, this year's contest brought to you in part by our friends at NASDAQ, Tribune Publishing, Kelly Services, Noble Capital Markets, and even Salem Media Group, the very fine people that bring you this radio station. Our thanks to Mike Kapinski, Director of Research at Noble Capital Markets, for being with us. And uh, hope you'll get involved, sign up, and uh, let's see if you can't be a winner and uh, literally be one of the next up-and-comers in the world of investing. Information and registration online, channelcheck.com forward slash college contest. Get a look at traffic right now. We're a bit late. You're stuck in traffic. Oh, hopefully not the way it was yesterday, heading out towards... uh, San Ramon and that neck of the woods, phew, big mess. Hope not to repeat tonight. Let's find out from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. It is a topic that, well, frankly, at a level, I suppose we would expect every believer to sort of be an expert at. It's the topic or the subject of forgiveness. And I say expert at because as believers who have faith in Christ Jesus and who have experienced God's grace through Christ's work on the cross, the the ultimate experience in forgiveness, that you would think this matter of forgiveness would come very easy to us. I mean, after all, having been shown ultimate grace and experienced forgiveness for our sins. Well, metering out forgiveness then towards others that hurt or wound us should be easy. Yeah, but not always so. In fact, as my next guest, I think, will argue, um, forgiveness is not just a one-time event, but in many respects throughout our life, not only do we have to repeatedly ask to be forgiven, but we have to extend forgiveness towards others. And that forgiveness oftentimes, particularly when you've gone through painful experiences that have wounded you deeply, well, that matter of forgiveness can be more of a lifelong process than just a one-time thing. Joining me is the daughter of evangelist Billy Graham. We're pleased to have with us tonight Ruth Graham, co-author of a new book, Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself, An Invitation to the Miracle of Forgiveness. And Ruth, great to have you on the program. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, your having me. Wow, this is uh, this is a heavy topic because it's something that every one of us is touched by and touched by repeatedly. And some people seem to kind of get along through life as if they've got it down pat, and it's a real easy thing. You've experienced forgiveness, so why not just uh, hand it out towards others without a problem? But I think that's that's the group of folks that's kind of in a rarefied category for most of us. This matter of forgiveness is something that indeed can be quite the challenge, can't it? Well, and I was there. I thought that forgiveness was sort of easy. You know, you, you said, I forgive you, and you slapped a Bible verse on it, and you went on. Uh, but it wasn't until I went to Angola Prison in Louisiana, a prison of 5,000 lifetime prisoners. I mean, they're not going to get out. 
and I was invited to go to death row, and I had never been in a prison, much less on death row, and I was very nervous. But they they took us to death row, and the gates clanked closed, and the razor wire was shining in the sun, and, and I was nervous. And I, But I walked through the gate, and I went to this, it was the corridor was lined with cells. I went to the first cell, and this little man stuck out his hand, and he shook my hand, and he we talked for a minute, and we asked about his family and so forth. And then he said, can I sing you a song? And I said, yes. And um, he took a step back, and he took a deep breath, and he sang, began to sing, It Is Well With My Soul. Mm. And I knew it was well with his soul. And um, when it was over, he said, can I give you a gift? And I thought, you know, here is a, life, a man who's condemned to die on death row, and he wants to give me a gift. And I said, certainly. So he handed me, reached under his pillow, and he handed me a little cross woven from his bedsheet threads. And I have it hanging in my house even today. And we prayed together, and we said goodbye, and I never thought anything more about it other than that it was a, it was a very interesting time to be there. But weeks later, when I got back from Angola, the national press had carried the fact that I was in the prison, and I got an email from somebody, and they said, um, were you really on death row at Angola? And I emailed back, and I said, yes. They said, did you meet Michael? And I said, well, I don't know. We met lots of Michaels. Let me check with the warden. So I called Warden Kane. I said, did I meet Michael? He said, yes, you did. So I emailed the person back, and I said, yes, I did. And they said, well, do you know if he's a believer? I said, I don't know. I better call Warden Kane back. So I called Warden Kane. He said, yes, he is, and he is scheduled to die this month. So I emailed this person back, and I said, yes, he is a believer, but what's your interest in this young man? And he said, well, I want you to know that he murdered my granddaughter in a gruesome way, and I want to know that he's going to be in heaven with me. Wow. I have forgiven him. Wow. That's when I knew that my understanding of forgiveness was so shallow and superficial that I had to dig deeper into what forgiveness really is. You know, sometimes, Ruth, I think uh, particularly those of us that have been in the faith for a long time and and for folks that that, uh, knew and loved and appreciated what your dad did for for so many decades, that message of forgiveness. We talk about it all the time. We we hopefully demonstrate not only uh, the capacity to to recognize what it's like to be forgiven, but also to extend forgiveness towards others. And maybe to a certain degree, we toss it around almost in a flippant fashion that we are so at the surface, quote-unquote, familiar with it, that the deep, profound side of forgiveness is something that tends to elude us. And I suppose some people, they hear forgiveness and they say, well, I know what you mean by that. You're, you're talking about just, you know, forgetting what happened. And I, I, I have a tough time doing that. It's, it's not a forgetting. I think we, we talk about forgiveness as a letting go, a way to get healthy emotionally, a gift we give ourselves. And while all that's incorporated, it's really not about us at all. It's about the character of God. And when we enter into forgiveness, we are asked to display the very character of God to a broken world. And isn't that what we want to do? And the best way to do it is by being a forgiving person. It's not easy. As you've mentioned before, it's a lifelong process. And we may make the choice to forgive today, and tomorrow the emotions are going to roll back in on us, and we're going to be angry and bitter and want to just choke them. But that doesn't mean we haven't forgiven. 
That means that the emotions are there, and emotions don't tell us the truth. Only God's Word tells us the truth. And A.W. Tozer once said that when we make the decision to forgive, that is the doorway by which the Holy Spirit enters that decision and enables us to carry it out. But it can take a lifetime, and we may have to forgive today and tomorrow and the next day, but it's okay. It's okay. God has given us the tools through the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. And I think sometimes the hardest time is, is when we have to forgive the, a person for doing the same thing over and over again to us. But that's okay. God's given us the tools to handle it, and we need to renew our mind with the Scriptures, with the Word of God. There's no better truth than the Word of God. I find it fascinating when Christ teaches the Lord's Prayer. You know not know how to pray, and so he teaches the apostles. And that one line that we can all recite it from memory, a lot of churches do it all the time, or certainly do so leading into the Lord's Supper, um, that one line, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And it almost seems to be conditional in a sense that, that one is tied in to the other, suggesting that there, there needs to be the exercise of not only asking for, God, for God's forgiveness and experiencing his grace, but that as we ask him to do that, God is calling upon us to turn around and extend that grace towards others. And that can be a hard thing to do, can't it? Particularly if you have, if you have been deeply wounded. You've, you've been open about your own personal story. You went through a very painful divorce, the victim of infidelity. That was, I know, doubly hard, uh, not just because of, of the damage to your own heart and, and what happened in your relationship, but then to have the whole world peering in at you and the standard that people expected you to live up to, not only from a public fashion, but I would imagine, as you suggest in the book, even from uh, your parents, uh, Billy and Ruth, you, you had to kind of deal with uh, additional stress, so to speak, of that, of that very painful experience. It was extremely painful, and I was not prepared for it. And I went through a very difficult time, and as I write in the book, I entered into a rebound marriage that lasted for about three months. And um, then I, he, he divorced me, and then I entered into another marriage, and um, that lasted about ten and a half years, and he divorced me, and um, entered into a fourth marriage. And it wasn't long before I realized that I'd made a terrible mistake and that he really didn't love me. And he looked at me in the face and said, I never loved you. Wow. So he ended up divorcing me. But after four failed marriages, I had to say, Ruth, what's going on here? What's wrong? I wondered if I was even saved. I thought, what's, there's a piece missing here somewhere. And I remember sitting, I was beating myself up, and I, I just cringed every time anybody mentioned divorce. But I remember sitting in... Nashville with a friend and talking about it and saying, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me. What, what have I done? And he looked at me and he said, Ruth, he said, as a little girl, you felt abandoned by your father. I did not want that to be true. I said, no, I wasn't. But it was true. That piece fit the puzzle. And I don't make any excuses for myself. I made my own choices. But sometimes there are reasons. And as a little girl, I wanted daddy to tuck me in bed. I wanted Daddy to teach me to ride the bicycle, and my father wasn't there. And more often, when I needed him the most, he was the farthest away. And when he was home, he was preparing for the next meetings, or he was exhausted, or he was preoccupied. 
So he wasn't home as I would have wa- wanted him to be. And I ha- there were repercussions in my life. And I'm, and I'm telling my story. I'm not telling my sibling's story. I'm telling my story. And it did affect me deeply. And, and he talks about it in his memoir, that he, certainly his absences affected his children. And it did me. And it was very painful. But you know what? God has used that in my life. And I'm very grateful that I know that. And like I said, every time somebody talked about divorce, I cringed. But recently, I was in Sunday school class, and um, we were comparing the Corinthian culture with our culture today. And the Sunday school teacher asked, when did we begin our downward slide in our culture? Hmm. And someone in the back yelled out, when we accepted divorce. And normally, I would have cringed. Oh, no. But I didn't. And after class, this man came up to me and said, I'm so sorry, Ruth. And he said, I meant to say easy divorce. And I realized then that I was standing in Romans 8.1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation Mm -hmm. to those who are in Christ Jesus. To me, that's the miracle of forgiveness. We are invited into that miracle. And and how amazing it is to to begin to experience some of that. And, and, And this is, again, as you suggest throughout the book, this is not an easy thing. This is a process. And um, I, I know that there are some people, young believers, that come to Christ and they hear much spoken about the issue of forgiveness, confess your sins, God will uh, faithfully forgive you and experience his grace. And then we're taught to then learn how to in turn forgive others. And, and we kind of sometimes look at this as almost an instantaneous thing that just comes along with Christianity, like, you know, you, you buy a car and the tires and engine come with it, not recognizing what a process this can be. And, and, and for you to even be candid, Ruth, about the challenges in being able to forgive your father. And I, interesting, when you were sharing that, I, it, it came to mind how often we will say to the parents and family members of people in military service, for example, thank you for your sacrifice as your son or, or daughter served overseas and were absent and, and what it meant to, to have that child away and in such great harm while they were serving our country in the military. And we stop and thank people for that, recognizing that there is a loss, there is a hole, there is a sacrifice that that family goes through. And, I, and, and as you were sharing, I thought, wow, for every listener out there who was touched by your dad's ministry, who maybe even came to Christ at a crusade or deepened their walk by watching um, the Our Decision broadcast or listening to it on radio, uh, that there was an enormous sacrifice that you went through and the rest of the family, your mom back home while your dad was gone, and and that we need to acknowledge that too, and that sometimes that that sacrifice led to difficult and painful childhood experiences. But it's not just Billy Graham's family. I think it's it's every family whose father is so wrapped up in their work. And I know in the and I my parents were a very unique couple called to a unique ministry at a unique time. And um, they are not examples. They are exceptions. Mm. And I think a lot of I've heard ministers say, oh, I want to be like your father. No, you don't want to be like my father. The price was high. And I think that um, we have to have a conversation as evangelicals. Because back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, it was um, God first, ministry second, then family. And that was just accepted, whether it was a missionary family or a minister's family or evangelist family. But that's not God's design. 
it was it was to be God, family, then ministry. And we need to have that conversation because we've gotten it backwards. And I, I just feel very strongly about that because there are people who are suffering, and a lot of children of these families have turned against Jesus because of it. And and it wasn't God's design. It truly wasn't. And we need to, to um, think about that. And fathers and pastors and anybody involved in being away from the family need to ask their children's forgiveness. And that's not easy. I share a story in my book where I ask my children's forgiveness. You know, as a mother, you're supposed to have it all together. You, know? so you don't want to ask your children's forgiveness. But I was wrong. I put my, my children through a great deal of of angst and, and hardship, and it was hard for them as I went through all this turmoil. But they readily forgave me, and how what a cleansing time it was to sit with my children and look them in the eye and say, will you forgive me? And all of them said, oh, well, you don't need to ask us. I said, no, I need to ask you, and you need to hear, you need to answer me, will you forgive me? And each one said, yes, mother, we forgive you. Now that is powerful stuff. And that is cleansing stuff, that is healing. And, and Ruth, this really, as you're suggesting, needs to be uh, proactive. In other words, we'll hear people say things like, well, time heals all wounds, or in reality, it just hides them, but they're still there, and there can be events that happen years later in life that suddenly trigger back all of the emotion, all of the anger, all of the pain, all of the disappointment. So it sounds like what you're suggesting is that when we talk about this matter of engaging in forgiveness, receiving forgiveness, extending forgiveness towards others, towards ourselves, that we nearly, really need to take a proactive role in this, don't we? That's right. We have to take the initiative. And, and sometimes we can go to a person and ask their forgiveness, and they may not grant it. They may not respond to us the way we want them to. And, of course, we're on pins and needles. It's, it's nerve-wracking. You know, it's, it's very hard to do. And you get very tense and anxious. But once you take that step in obedience, now I'm assuming that you have prayed about it, that you've asked God to help you, that he's guiding you, that you're leading the way. And if he is leading the way, then you step out in obedience. And when you step out in obedience, he will be there for you. And we need not fear. But when you do that and you ask for someone's forgiveness, if they don't respond, that's their issue. That's not your issue. You've been obedient. And that's what counts. And, um, and sometimes they will be ugly to you. Again, that's not your thing. That's their thing. And you have to just realize that you've obeyed God, you've done what's right, and you leave the rest with him. Let me ask you a tough question. You, you've, you've spoken in the book and here um, in our dialogue today about some of your, your challenging uh, <laughs> marriage history. Um, when we talk about forgiveness, it, it typically in, in, in the context of the gospel message, it is forgiveness as a pathway that leads to reconciliation. Why? Because our, our Father, the Creator, wants to walk in fellowship with us, and the design is that through His child's, His Son's work on the cross, we can be forgiven, be reconciled unto Him, and then walk in fellowship with Him. Some people hear the word forgiveness in that context, Ruth, and they say, wait a minute, Ruth, wait a minute, you have no idea what so-and-so did to me. It may be a situation where an individual was physically or sexually abused as a child or in an abusive relationship or, or other set of, of relational circumstances where they struggle with the notion of 
exercising or extending forgiveness because they think that that means that it must naturally lead to reconciliation, and they're they're terrified, if not horrified, at the thought of what that would look like, knowing how deeply wounded they were by this person. Does forgiveness and reconciliation, is that necessarily all wrapped up in the same package? Not at all, and sometimes it's unwise to reconcile. It would be a danger to reconcile, especially when there's abuse. And I I think that as as parents, as a mother especially, we have a responsibility, a spiritual responsibility, to protect our children. And if our children are in an abusive relationship with their father or mother, whoever it is that's abusing them, we have to take them out of that. And forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. Forgiveness is unconditional. Reconciliation is conditioned on the changed behavior of the one who's doing the wounding. And only the person who's been wounded can determine whether that person has changed or not. And I think that uh, we have to be very careful to, to recognize that reconciliation stands apart from forgiveness. And I have a friend, I think I quote him in the book, Ed Gunger, who says, you know, we can go to the zoo and we can enjoy all the animals, but we don't have to get in a cage with them. <laughs> I like Ed's observation. That's good. And I I think people listening to you share that perspective has taken a huge burden off of many people's shoulders because they've struggled with this idea. They maybe have recognized at multiple levels the Lord has revealed to them the need to extend forgiveness and to push past whatever it was, whatever the wound was weeks, months, years ago. But they've been fearful of the notion that if I forgive, it's going to mean reconciliation, and that could create a whole other big uh, challenge that, 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 that goes on beyond the pale, so to speak. And I think it's important that, that people understand that one does not always necessarily lead to the other. And in fact, as you suggest, sometimes that can be very dangerous. What about the matter of, of forgiving and forgetting? There again is another notion that we've oftentimes heard this said that, well, you know, if you haven't forgotten, you really haven't forgiven. Well, Dr. Lou Sneeds, in his classic book, uh, Forgive and Forget, uh, talks about that. And he says, you know, we can't forget. If we, have, if we forget, then we don't need to forgive. Only God chooses to forget. And we will remember. And if we don't remember, then the scars will remind us. You know, that it, and the emotions will remind us. But just because we remember doesn't mean that we haven't forgiven. Again, time will doesn't heal everything, and sometimes we, we do think, well, time will bury all things, but no, it buries things alive, and they come back to haunt us. But I think that as we give it to the Lord, and we leave it at His cross, and when, we, when we're really struggling with forgiveness, spend some time at the cross. Find out what it costs Jesus to forgive. And I think we have to realize that it costs Jesus everything to forgive us. And if he has paid that price for us, then we need to be able to enter into the process of forgiveness. And it is a process. It's a lifelong process. And I, we can't pressure people. We can't force people. It's something that the Holy Spirit does. As long as we open the door to him to work in our lives, then it's his work in us. Ruth, I know that you have um, been very candid in sharing uh, your own experiences in in this very forthright book, um, and I'm sure that some of this, in sort of putting it down, 
pen to paper and reliving some of those difficult moments uh, could have been painful for you. Uh, but through your pain, um, I think you have opened the doorway for readers and listeners, hopefully to our dialogue today, to get a deeper understanding of not only what forgiveness is, but the sense of possibility that it can happen, particularly for those who had kind of given up on the idea that they could ever extend forgiveness to somebody who had wounded them so deeply. The book is called Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself, An Invitation to the Miracle of Forgiveness, newly released by Baker Books. You'll find it at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it online through Ruth's website, ruthgraham.com. That's Ruth Graham. Ruth, I sure appreciate you spending some time with us today, uh, sharing your thoughts and insights um, from this new book. And um, and I'll say it, thank you also for sharing your father. He was uh, a, a treasure to many, many people and touched untold millions of lives in, in his passion for sharing the gospel and the sacrifice that you and your siblings and your mom made in, in allowing that to happen uh, is not something that we should take lightly or allowed to go unnoticed. So thank you. Very kind. Thank you. Well, he was my hero for sure. And, uh, and we were blessed to have him in our lives. Indeed so. Ruth Graham, daughter of evangelist Billy Graham. The book, Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself, An Invitation to the Miracle of Forgiveness. Just released by Baker Books. You'll find it at Bay Area Christian Bookstores and through Ruth's website at ruthgraham.com. Let's get a look at traffic now.